0: do this, do that, that's the gospel. It's not the case. He spent the whole book of Galatians, if you've been with us, you know this, enunciating, articulating, contending for the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, which is that we get all of God's favor brought into God's family for free because of the costly work of Jesus on our behalf. And it's Paul's call to us to trust in Christ who's done the work necessary for us. There's nothing we can do but believe on Jesus. It's within that context that he finishes his book. He usually does this in his letters. He finishes this book in the last chapter, saying, "In light of that, live this way. Because your family made such by the work, the finished work of Jesus, His blood covering you, His righteousness on you, um, your life ought to look like this." And the warning there is that if it doesn't, there's a place for you, and that is to flee to Jesus. And also, if it doesn't, and you think you are one of his own, you ought to you ought to be sobered and ask yourself, wait a minute, do I know God at all? And the way that we know that Paul is doing this is that he's done he's preaching the gospel the whole time, so he's not going he's not shifting from you can do nothing to be part of God's family, Christ has done it all to oh you can do these things. He's not doing that. But also, he gives us the uh, the key in the first word of this passage that Tom read, Galatians six one. What's the first word? starts off with the word brother. So he's talking, he knows, to family. You don't earn family. You're just born in family. And that through faith in Jesus Christ. It's through Christ alone that we are made sons and daughters of, of the living God. That we're adopted, like, like Tom said. And then the last, the second to last word in this book, not in our, not in our passage, but the last verse in this book, is it verse? Like, verse 18. The second to last word in the book is what? brother. The last word is So there's a sense in which he's, he, the last thing that he has to say It's a bunch of, hey, your life should look like this, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. But lest we, for, lest we mistake him and say, oh, it's out of our own efforts and out of our own resume, no. And out of our own striving, he's saying, remember, this is because you're family. This is how family lives. And the title of the sermon is essentially families fight. Okay, we'll probably just get to two out of the three points today. But first of all, families fight for restoration. He starts off out of the gate talking about uh, really church discipline. Among each of us interpersonally as the family of God, applying discipline to one another, getting involved in the picky and the nasty and the sin in people's lives, that's part of the way a healthy family works. But also, formal church, it really touches on formal church discipline and how we have elders as pastors, in part, to, to discipline members. Why? What Paul tells us here. Is, is it to crush spirit? No, not at all. It's not to crush spirit. It's the opposite of that. So he starts off by saying, look, anyone, if anyone's caught uh, in a transgression, here's what to do. If anyone's caught. So, you know, he's pointing out the fact that if somebody's walking in sin... the chances are they're going to have to get caught out. You will catch them. They're not just usually going to come and say, sometimes it does work. It does happen this way, but hey, brother, sister, um, he, I, re- I really need them convicted. That does happen. But Paul's saying a lot of times the way it works is you catch someone. And what does that mean? It means they still are going headlong into that thing. and They are not going to want to come this way. They're not going to want to be, have their sin stopped and brought before others and, and loved and in a hard way, there's going to be pain, and they're just going to be in the middle of their sins. So they're going to cause a fuss, they're going to fight, they're going to flee. Tim Keller says, Christians need to be neither quick to criticize, and so it's not it's not like looking for every tiny little sin and then, you know, being the sin police. It's not what he's saying. So we need to be not quick to criticize, but also not afraid to confront. And I think, man, for our generation, can I, can I say hour? I think most of you are younger, but I just throw myself in there. Um, that makes me feel better. Thank you. For our generation, uh, we really need to hear that word, like part of the Christian life, it looks like not being afraid to confront because we love each other that much. And we care about each other that much. If you really care about someone, if you really care about your kids, you're going to discipline them. Why? Because you hate them? No. If you hate a kid, you're just going to let them run the street. You don't care. You know, who cares? It's that guy's kid. You know, But <laughs> my kids, I care about how they turn out. I care about their souls. I care about their standing before the living God. I care about their eternity. Care about their character. So I'm going to get into the mess with them. And it's not going to feel good at first. Um, I, have a, I have a friend who, when he was at university, essentially the short of it is that he got involved in some little lies. And this is always the way sin works. words, the little, if you don't, sin doesn't just go away on its own. It has to be destroyed. It has to be caught and ripped out and confronted with the light of Jesus Christ. A lot of times that takes community. Um, and so he started with a few lies, and then his few lies turned into, by the end of his freshman year, his whole life was just, he was lying to cover up the other lies. It was a, Mark Twain, he once said, I, I always tell the truth that way, I don't have to remember what I said. You know, when you lie, you have to remember what the former lie was so you can cover your tracks. And his whole life became hey, this skein, this web of lies and deceit. And he thought he was getting away with it, don't we all, when we're doing that? We can all relate to some degree. He thought he was going to get away with it, and then one day, but he was miserable, one day he came home and he walked into a room that he thought it was going to be a casual meeting with a, a friend or a pastor, and he walked into the room and he saw, like, all his closest friends and family there, and he literally turned. <laughs> he turned to, to, like, run out, to flee, and uh, the door was closed, of course, and he was caught. <laughs> and you know what is amazing why I share this? What he, he was caught, so that illustrates the point, but what he said, the first thing that went through his head before, I think maybe the first thing was, oh, that I can't say here, you know, but, <laughs> oh no. Um, <laughs> oh shucks. Um, but after that thing, his the first thing he thought was this thank God. Yes. Relief. Yes. Relief. He was so glad he'd been caught. A man, I mean, those, that friends and family, they had to commit. That was a painful, not just day, but, series of months, but he's a different person now. Um, so let's care about each other enough. So Paul says, anyone caught, you who are spiritual, restore him. You are spiritual. What does that mean? That kind of sounds like, hey, super troopers. Hey, super Christians. Hey, like the three of you here. You know, that's not what he's that's not what he's saying. Um, he's saying spiritual, led by the Spirit of God instead of walking in the flesh, carnal, and feeding on sin and being directed by that fleshly man. That's unfortunately Waiting, it's the hungry dog waiting to be fed daily, you know. Um, Which is why we're told to crucify the flesh, because until we die and are glorified, that's going to be that dog's going to be wanting treats. And so Paul goes on to talk later in this passage about which: uh, Are you going to sow to the flesh or are you going to sow to the spirit? Which one are you going to grow? Which one are you going to see grow? The flesh in your life or the spirit? It matters. Even if you're a new creation in Christ, what you do, what you feed on, how you spend your time, the decisions you make matter. That's one of the points of this passage. So um, he said, you are spiritually led by the Spirit. You're keeping in step with the Spirit. Yeah, you sin every day. You admit that. That's part of being led by the Spirit. You're constantly repenting, confessing. The first of the 95 theses that Martin Luther nailed up on the door almost 500 years ago, exactly 1517 in October, I think 31st, was the Christian life is one of continual repentance. So if that's the case, if you're doing that, if that's marking your life, you're a you're a you're a spiritual person, you're being led by the Spirit. Um, but he's saying, if you're full of the Spirit, if you're soaking in the Word, you will act this way. You will do this. You will, you will catch people out, not because you're the police, but because you care, and because it matters to you, because they matter to you, because you're committed enough to them. Um, you're committed more to their well-being. Get this. Spiritual people, those who are walking with the Lord, who understand we are family, who have counted the cost of eternity know that we are playing for eternal states. They care more about um, they care more about the well-being of their brother or sister than about their own comfort. If you do not, you will not get involved. Um, Paul says, you are spiritual restored. Restored. Um, actually, before I hit that, let me just let me just say this: brief, brief. Again, church discipline, I think this is talking about our interpersonal relationship within the church. It's also talking about the fact that, again, the Reformers um, said that church discipline is the mark of the true church, along with the preaching of the word and the right administration of the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and, and baptism. Church discipline. Now, I think you can be a church family without discipline, but you're going to be extremely unhealthy. You're going to be, I mean, imagine a, a family, a biological family with no discipline. No, the kids get no discipline. You don't have to imagine because you've seen those families. And yes, they're families, but man, they're dysfunctional. Okay, so discipline is not for breaking bones. It's for health. It's for health. And it's actually, we're not off the hook. So that's what we call, this church, too. that's why we have elders. We have pastors, pastors are elders you uh, care about you. And we care about you, especially when you have to be caught out, especially when you've bolted. <laughs> That's really when we care about you, enough to get in the mess and pull you back and say, brother, sister, we love you. Let's work you to restoration, not shame you, not break you. Uh, but also, it's for us individually. So Matthew eighteen fifteen and following, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault because um, between you and him alone, this is sort of like the paradigm for intervention with someone. If he listens to you, gain a brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge might be established. You have witnesses, right? And then if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to even tell it to the church, then what? Uh, let him either use a Gentile or a tax collector. Kick him out the door, hate him. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying then treat him as if he's a non believer because he probably or she probably is. And if not, they're acting like it. And you need to treat them within that category within the hope, basically starting to witness the gospel to them again as if they are an unbeliever, with the hope that they will be brought into the fold and restored, or made new for the first time. Okay. Um, and this is an imperative, this isn't a suggestion. We can look at a lot of the commands of Jesus and Paul and think, hmm, that's a nice suggestion. No, this is, a, this is in the uh tense. It means it's, it's a command, it's an order. It's our responsibility to each other to act this way, man, uh, that is really convicting to me. What do we often do instead? One, two things. One, nothing, because it's just I care more about confession time. I care about my own more about my own comfort than the well-being of my brother or sister. True confession. Number two, I reach gossip about. Even worse, Paul said. He says, rather restore. This verb, it's well translated here, it means to mend. In the Greek, it means to mend or to restore. To get back to good function, to working order. Implication, sin breaks you down. Sin tears against the moral fabric of the universe, and things don't work right when we are in transgression. God loves us and wants us to work right. We're putting milk in the gas tank when we sin. Gas the gas tank. To do things according to the word of the Lord in step with the Spirit of God. We get to work as He was, as He made us to work. And so, discipline is all about seeing somebody brought back to the way what they were created for, finding their true purpose in life, being fulfilled and being satisfied. Um, rebellion and sin break us. Um, it's like a net with a hole in it. It's like a bone that's been broken. I think Paul mentioned that earlier. It's like a bicycle with no chain. It, it just sin is like all those things. It, we need restored, and that's what discipline is about. Um, so Paul lands on do this, work toward restoration. You are spiritual. And you catch someone in transgression in a, in a spirit of gentleness. I want to I talk about that uh, for a bit and then move to humility, which is very related, and then move on to the second point. Um, it's to be done in love, this, this restoration, this discipline, is to be done with gentleness, not with a heavy hand or a desire to punish or humiliate. I think immediately of Jesus, as you do probably, with the adulterous woman. He had every opportunity in John 8 to uh, humiliate her as they were, as the Pharisees were doing with her in the public square. They had caught her, literally, in the sin of adultery. Jesus, the very, the only one, you know, it's an old joke that, like, this is not in the notes, but so it probably should be said but, okay. Um You know, Jesus said, hey, he who he was without the first sin, uh, without without sin, cast the first stone. And, um, okay, I'm not going to say it, all right? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not going to say it. It's, um, Jesus was the only one who could have cast the stone, okay? Let me sort of get part of that punchline. All right, he's the only one that could have cast that stone because he was without sin. And he's the one who chose not to cast that stone. And everybody else, the scripture says, walked away. But that's gentleness. And and what did he say to her? I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. There's gentleness there, and it probably broke the bone, as it were, So, probably made such an impact, probably made an internal impact on this boy's life. Gentle like Jesus. And who is Jesus not gentle with? The proud. We often flip it. With the proud, we're often gentle, because often if you have money and power, you're proud. Not always. But usually money and pride make us money and, and power make us proud. And we usually are very uh, soft and gentle with those. We cost them, we coddle them. And with those who have already been humbled by their egregious sin, that we break them. We're the exact opposite of what Jesus was. Jesus it says of Jesus that he will not extinguish a smoldering wick. You no, know wick on a candle that's just like basically just like sending out smoke because there's a little flicker of a flame left that's about to go out. Jesus is so gentle that he won't even, he will, he will encourage that flame back to life. He won't even put that um, It says that a bruised reed he won't break. You know a reed, a reed is super easy to break. I mean, my three-year-old would break a reed. It's not easier than a twig. It's bruised, so it's even easier to break now. If you touch it wrong, it'll break. Jesus said, it says of Jesus, the Messiah is the prophecy. The Messiah, the one who's coming, he'll be so powerful that he will effect, he'll bring about salvation and restoration for the cosmos. And he'll be so tender that he will not even break a bruised reed. And that's the way that we're supposed to be in our discipline. And sometimes with the crowd we need to be like Jesus was as well. Um, never – I just want to talk a little bit to the formal process because we are going to church in the next 12 months probably nominate and ordain some elders. Right now I'm an elder with the rest of the sojourners. Houston, I'm not a lone elder. God forbid I would not have stepped in that position. I don't trust myself enough. You shouldn't trust me either. You should never trust one person like that. I am on a session with other elders that are making decisions for your welfare. Okay? But soon, hopefully, God willing, we'll have at least two more that will ordain. Okay? in the next – or so, and when we're going through that process, never put your stamp of approval on a man who is not gentle, or at least on his way to gentleness. Okay, I've met cynical, angry, sharp, downright mean elders, mean as snakes, in the words of my old systematic theology professor. We've all met them who have excellent theology, and that's one of the reasons they're so mean because they're misusing that theology, and that their their knowledge has puffed them up. Man, if you are mean as a snake. I don't care how good your theology is, you don't know my Jesus. If you're not on your way to gentleness, you better check yourself. You better check yourself right now, because I don't think you know God. That is an attribute of God, and he calls us to invoke that in our discipline for restoration. Um, One of the first things that my old old preaching professor, my first preaching professor said, is he said when he would go in to fill a pulpit in a church, First thing he would look for, he would get there early. First thing he would look for, guess what it was? It, isn't, it wasn't, hey, does the van sound fantastic? Is there a greeter at the door? Are the restrooms clean? It wasn't even the preaching. Well, he was born to preach, so that would be ridiculous, right? <laughs> it was the wife of the pastor. Is she glowing? Well, if she's glowing, the church is home. If she's not glowing, If she's heavy, if she's worn out, I'm not fucking tired. I'm talking downcast. She's just been, then guess what? The church has been healthy because the pastor is not gentle. He's not taking care of his wife. He's not prioritizing right. Priority for me, priority for you. Jesus, the living God. Fixing your eyes on him, getting everything you need from him. Then your spouse. Then everything else. If you got that right, right in order your gloves, everything's going to work out. Okay? Um... So we are looking for husbands and fathers, friends. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking literal. It's okay if you could be an elder and not be a husband or a father. But I'm talking to be as a good husband, a gentle husband, a gentle and compassionate father who has power but uses it not to break but to restore. Men of power and authority who wield that power for healing and not harm. Like a horse, a powerful animal under bit and bridle. Like a, like a ship that can just be steered by a rudder. small... Right, under control. Um, great power under control. That's what gentle, more word gentle points to. Proutis in the Greek. Um, God treats us gently when we transgress, and He woos us to Him. He, he draws us, Hosea 11, He draws us with cords of love. And that's what we want to see in one another, especially in cases of discipline. You know, when you catch your child in a sin and in a cookie jar, proverbially, or whatever, and you have to discipline them, as like I did Susanna last night, nothing new. Um, but it always makes me sad if you're ever not sad if there, you should discipline with tears in your eyes if you're not disciplining with tears in your eyes you need to stop disciplining not for good but get it right, figure it out, talk to the spouse come talk to one of us, get some help uh, doing it because you care not because you enjoy it not for good. Okay. Uh, Paul says keep watch on yourself you who are disciplining and catching people in sin why does he say this? because Basically, he's like, look, you're not above this. You're not above being in the same exact sin. Don't think that you are. Um, We have the tendency, I think, when we enter into a a rescue like this, or an intervention like this, or a restoration like this, we can have the tendency in our flesh to think, that would never happen to me. And all of a sudden, you create a two category. And you're just misunderstanding the gospel right there. Because that could absolutely be, and it might be one. Humility is called for. And really, that's a large part of what gentleness means. The word means it's among the fruit of the Spirit Galatians 5, verse 23. And it's the quality, one dictionary says, of not being overly impressed by one's sense of self-importance. So it's really akin to, to humility. <clears throat> um, and also, okay, keep watch on yourself lest you lest you get proud and setting yourself, setting yourself up for a fall, and also you won't be gentle if you do that with somebody. Um, but people who intervene in these kind of situations, Satan hates restoration. He wants to crush into into completely disorder someone's life, to take the chain off the life, to break the bone, to put a hole in the net. Um, and he hates restoration, so people who intervene become targets. In fact, that's one of the reasons Paul says this. There's a battle for the souls of men, and Satan wants to chew us up and spit us out. Um, one of the mission, sort of missions that we're about in this church, and it might become official at some point as we rethink sort of the wording of our mission, is to join Jesus in the renewal of all things. Jesus is about renewing everything, and he will do it through his church, and we get to be part of that, and that's part of what Paul's talking about here. But sin devastates, it exhilarates, but then it devastates, and then it decimates, Um, and notice, too, that Paul doesn't say, he doesn't even say, lest you two, beware lest you two fall into sin or actually transgress. doesn't say that. He says, beware lest you two are tempted. You, know, you should be so hateful of sin and so afraid of it and so wanting to run from it that you shouldn't even want to be tempted. What is part of the Lord's Prayer? Keep us from temptation. Just like Joseph, man, when, when uh, in Genesis, was it, 39? When Potiphar's uh, wife grabs him and says, lie with me. You know, and he's just all over that cat. And what does he do? He's so, he's so hateful of dishonoring God and getting involved in that that he just runs out of his coat. Just, boom, just pulls that one and just flees. And she's just left holding a coat. He uses it to train him later, of course, which God uses it to save all creation later, so awesome. But that's beside the point. The point is Joseph fled temptation. Billy Graham, it said, uh, when he would never travel alone because he was so wary of t- Even being tempted to sin. He, was, he knew this verse. He knew the wisdom of Paul's words. He hated sin. And uh, he would never travel alone. And in hotel rooms, it was said that he would either have them take the TV out, directly if they couldn't, he'd snip the cable, He'd have someone else, a guy traveling, him and snip the cable and then just pay for it at the front desk later before leaving because he didn't even want to be tempted. You know, that's the thing. It takes humility to go, I could, that could be me. I don't even want to be able to handle temptation. It's pride that says, I got this. Don't don't be like that. Like, text out, call. If you feel, even feel temptation coming on, you've got to have a community around you of brothers or sisters you trust. You're gonna be living in community in such a way that you can just you have people that you can say pray for me right now. I'm not I'm not there yet. I don't even want to be. So pray for me. That's, there's nothing. Same you think That's shameful. That's the opposite. Fight. Okay. Um, you know, rehearsing. This could have been me. Is the mentality that Paul wants us to have. This could have been me remembering and rehearsing the gospel to ourselves, like Paul says in Galatians 3.1, as I preached on the library a few months ago, we portray Christ crucified again and again to ourselves, to one another, to those that we're meeting for the first time. We're reminding ourselves of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that God Almighty came and laid His life down for me, because that's what I deserve. I deserve that cross. He took it to my place. It humbles me, and it secures me, in God's love for me. Um <clears throat> but rehearsing the gospel for ourselves it humbles us. So let me let me give us a, a short story about that, a short illustration. Um, this could have been me. So Keller, Tim Keller, a preacher from New York, he uh, he tells a story about, you know, two two guys that um, they're thieves and they uh, they steal something and and they're they're in sort of a I don't know some sort of some sort of yard or whatever. They steal something, they, they get caught, and they're running away from those that have caught them, and they run over, they jump over a chain link fence, and um, both of them get caught by their pursuers, by the shirt, by the clothes. And, and uh, one of the guy's shirts rips, and the other guy's shirt doesn't rip. And the guy whose shirt rips, leaves, he, he flees, he gets away with it, and the other guy, and he goes on actually to, to make amends, to live an honest life somewhat and to make a life for himself. Um, The other guy, his whole life gets ruined. He gets put in prison and his whole life goes into a a spiral and he's finished. Um, You know, how ridiculous would it be for the first guy that got away to come back and to say, dude, you know, 10 years later, say, man, you are in this pit and look at me, my life's great, I'm so much better than you. Not at all, not at all. Actually, the only difference is that my shirt and that's what Keller says. That's essentially not his fullness. That's essentially the gospel. Why me and not that person? I sure I don't know why God has had favor on me. I am no better. I deserve what Christ took. It gives us, the more that we rehearse the gospel to ourselves when one under, it gives us that needed humility to actually intervene in a humble, gentle way to seek restoration. It's not going to be effective if we separate ourselves from, from folks that we're intervening with. Um, and also conversely, so remembering the gospel humbles us but forgetting the gospel and not rehearsing it makes us proud Uh, I told a Keller story now I'm going to tell a child story one that I read to my son this week it's his new book Once a Mouse anybody? I think it's a Caldecott winner, alright it's like a 10 page story with pictures one line per page (laughs) serious (laughs) reading um called Once a Mouse, and it's about a hermit in the, who lives in the jungle. I think it's said in India. There's tigers involved. It's about a hermit and a mouse and a tiger, and the, the short of it is that a hermit encounters a mouse. Who's being, he's being chased by all sorts of predators, and, and, and uh, so he feels really badly for him. So he makes the, first he makes the mouse into a cat, and, and, and the cat then is chased by a dog, and so, so on and so forth he goes until finally he makes him Tiger, a, bangle, a huge Bengal tiger. He's chased finally by a tiger, and he makes him a bigger tiger. So he's like the king of the forest, the jungle. And he goes around, and now everyone's afraid of him. And he starts to strut his stuff. And he thinks, and he just gets proud. He's like, I am the man. I'm the tiger. I'm the best. And he's using his tigerness to, uh, to just rip on other people, and intimidate them. And the hermit says, um, Man, you were a mouse. You were a mouse. I made you into a tiger. Why are you so proud? Shame on you. And the the once mouse, now tiger, says, no one shall tell me I was once a mouse. I will kill him. And that's what happens with us. We are no different when we begin to be full of ourselves as Christians in any way. We forget the gospel. We forget that God Almighty came and did for us and took for us what we deserve in his life. You know, almost... That testimony, think about this. Like, how did that, how did, how was she free of that addiction to food? Of seeking her identity and her comfort, her soul, as we all do it a different way in food. How, did that just magically dissipate? Did that just magically evaporate? No. Jesus, on the cross, endured that addiction. The weight, the captivity that brought, he paid for it, he buried it. And so she is free and she sees that and confesses it. there's power in that confession. I have everything I need in Christ. Boom. Paid for. It. Free. Jesus, that's just one small, one small person. Jesus took that for us on the cross, and all we have, uh, all we need, we have in him. And so that should humble us and remind us that we're mice, but we're mice that are loved. Really, really loved. And yes, in a sense, we've been made tigers, but let's not get proud about it. Um, Families fight to share burdens. Point two. I I want to finish on time, and I know the kids. We have like fifty three children in the children's, uh, so this we need to we need to give our kids people a break, and then go have some food together. So this really can be a sermon. And Paul's going to wrap up Galatians next week, so he can hit this stuff if he wants to. Um, but this could be a sermon really on on how to intervene in people's lives that are part of this family. Um, and if they're part of this family, you're going to be with them forever. So it's an internal investment. If they're not part of this family, if they're unbelievers, then you should care enough about them to want to bring them into this family because they're lost without over the world. So either way, let's, let's be known as a people who work for restoration through Jesus Christ, who, who live as, like this because we are a family. We've been radically, our position has been radically and permanently altered through the finished world. So we are free to live like this. And if we're not, if there aren't semblances of this and progress toward this kind of life, we ought to go, hang on. Wait a minute. Do I know the God who laid his life down for me? Brother, sister, do you know? Can I remind you once again who care enough about each other to get involved in the mess of each other's lives? Because we know we are in Christ. And we have that hope in Jesus. Um, I'm just gonna finish with that and let's let's pray. <coughs>